film is a sort of dreamscape. You get this kind of groundless passion. That's an interesting phrase. Yeah. Hello, welcome to In Frequencies, the ICA podcast. My name is Nicholas Raffin and I'm the film curator at the ICA. You're about to listen to a conversation between John Smith and composer Jocelyn Pook, which marked the opening of the John Smith Introspective, taking place from 1st October 22 to 1st December 22 at the ICA, but also at Close Up in East London. This is a very ambitious project bought by Purge.xxx, uh, the underground label, which consists in a 10-week survey, 50 films from 50 years, retracing the career of John Smith. So John Smith is perhaps known as Britain's most radical, best loved, as you will um, hear, and influential artist filmmaker. In the eight works that were featured in the program before this conversation, Blight was perhaps his most famous work, which also was scored by Jocelyn Pook herself. Jocelyn Pook, after Blight, went on with a beautiful career, scoring Eyes Wide Shut and The Merchant of Venice and is in this conversation discussing John Smith's work as well as the relationship and how the collaboration came about. I hope you enjoy the podcast and please look out for the two other conversations that will be published soon with Carl Mulvey and Jarvis Cocker. Hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, I'm so surprised to see so many people, so I hope you're not going to be disappointed. Not least because music-themed program, and you will see from some of the films that I've used the term very loosely. Uh, but some are very musical and make up for the others. Um, so I just wanted to give you a tiny little bit of background before we start just to a few of the films, because most of my films are, are generally self-initiated. I do exactly what I want to do, and, um, and uh, never mind. Uh, but... Um, Every now and then I've made commissions and several of the films in this program are commissions and I thought I would just quickly let you know about them. Uh, the first is the longest film in the program, Shine So Hard, which was a commission for the rock band uh, Echo and the Bunnymen back in 1980, which was a very unusual thing for me to do and I won't go into the details of how it came about, but... Um, but um, just to let you know, it wouldn't, it's not really like one of my films would have been if I'd worked it, <laughs> if it was something I'd devised myself. But um, it was an interesting challenge. It revolves around a concert in Buxton in the Peak District uh, where I was also asked, having never met the band before, to, for the part of the film should actually kind of be a sort of portrait of the members of the band. And I was told uh, that uh, they had certain characteristics like fussy about hygiene was kind of inspected his hotel uh, Les Patterson the bass player was really into gadgets and technology Will Sargent the lead guitarist as far as I remember they just said well he's very introspective and shy and Peter's the drummer they said well he's a bit posh and he goes to restaurants and reads books so this was what I had to go on in terms of uh, creating this image and I just thought it was very interesting to just take those ideas really literally and so that's sort of, without giving too much away, that, that maybe you'll realise why some of these strange things are happening. Um, okay, so that's that. Uh, Gargantuan, just to tell you quickly, um, is, was a commission for BBC Two uh, TV's Late Show back in the, uh, 1992, I believe. 
Uh, and at that time, the Late Show commissioned artists for several years to make one-minute films, which were interventions within the Late Show that they had between uh, interviews and reviews and things like that. So the brief for this film was simply that it had to be one minute long. And that's just one thing to bear in mind when you watch the film, because, again, that was what I took as the focus for the film. So it's exactly one minute long. Um, the Camera, the Actor is a film that I made for Charles Haywood, musician Charles Haywood, quite recently, uh, a couple of years ago. That was completely open, but it was he gave me a song that he wanted me to make a film to accompany. And finally... The focus of this evening is the film Blight that Jocelyn and I made for uh, BBC TV and the Arts Council in 1996 for a series called Sound on Film, which are collaborations between filmmakers and composers. And we had the opportunity to work together closely from very early on in the project. Please welcome Sonic Colossus Jocelyn Cook and the gift that keeps on giving, John Smith. Thank you very much. We have exactly 41 minutes, and I think John would appreciate the precision of that, of that statement. Is that 41, 41, John, 41, John. 41 minutes until we're out into the foyer area and, of course, on into the bar, and the next film comes on. And we're going to make the most of those 41 minutes. We're going to start here, and, of course, we're going to open out as soon as is possible to you, the audience, to bring your uh, questions. As Stanley said, of course, comments, very, very brief. I mean, in passing, as you head towards the question area. Um, to John and Jocelyn, of course. Now, we've got a lot to do here. We're going to focus, of course, on Blight, one of the great works of our time. And with Jocelyn's immense, immense presence here, we're going to make the most of her being in the room with us. Um, so we've got a musical focus to this evening, of course, but these films will also make their appearance, I'm correct, John, in thinking throughout the season in the chronological order as well. These, film, these films will make their place felt in the chronological sequence as well. That's right. Yeah. That's, so it comes back, right? What's, Apart what? from the, the two promo films won't be. Two promo films won't be. Absolutely. Okay, so that was the moment to have them. We had them. Uh, we're already blessed, of course, and the blessings continue right now. So now, Blight is an incredible work. I mean, I remember seeing it when it was first made, and it takes on numerous meanings in the nearly 30 years since, 26 years since. I noticed, John, that it's just under halfway through your entire body of work. It came out in 96 after a couple of years' work. And we could argue that 97, of course, is the pivot point. So it, there's a sense of before and after, which we'll come to in a minute. But, Justin, could I start with you? Did you know John before you were asked to partake in this incredible project? I did. You did. And how did you get to the point where you were going to work together? Can you remember? Um, <laughs> By the way, I... I, I it was your idea. Was it, I, I thought it was your idea, actually, funnily enough. I think we heard about the, the commission, the uh, BBC um, Arts Council Commission. Right. And um, we were both living in Leytonstone. We were yeah. living, we benefited for many, many years, in John's case, over a decade, uh, from, from the short-life houses that yeah. were going to imminently be knocked down by the M11 link road, but it, it went on for about 20 years, isn't it, I, I think? Or so, yeah. Okay, you were there much longer than me, but um, and we were so lucky to um, mm -hmm. have, have that cheap housing in that time in our youth, and um, we, we felt, I think we felt a little bit sheepish that we, you know, we, we were, well, I don't know about you, but I, we, we um, 
there, there was the road protesters started then, and um, and they were really, um, you know, there was real effort that they were kind of putting into that. And we, we, I think I always felt a bit sheepish that we didn't kind of join them. You know, we, we benefited from that. So in a way, this felt like our kind of contribution. Mm -hmm. But I think that came later that it was... I can't remember when we... when, when if, it, it was you probably remember better, John. I think you should take over. Yeah, what happened was that you called me and said... There's this BBC Arts Council scheme called Arts Sound, Sound on Film. Would you be interested in doing something together for it? And uh, I said, yeah, when's the deadline? And Joss is very good on being quite close to deadlines. <laughs> I said, I think it's next week or the week after <laughs> to get an application yeah, yeah, in. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, it would be really nice to do something together. But we had a very limited period of time. And we got together and we sort of brainstormed it for like a couple of days. But yeah. we had to really get an application yeah, in quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Blight, I'd already shot a lot of material for already. And I had this material. And I had my own ideas about what I was going to do with it, which was which um, didn't include music. And then, uh, and um, we got to a point where I think you said, um, "Oh, it'd be really nice if we could do it with Blight because you haven't seen some of the material." And, uh, and I, I, I remember I said to you initially, "Well, I love your music, Joss, uh, but I do have ideas for Blight to be something different." And um, and also, I'm kind of slightly apprehensive about the kind of emotive quality of music. And you sort of uh, reassured me. So we could we just use, we might maybe we'll just use natural sound and uh, and voices and natural sound. And uh, anyway, the rest is history. Because like <laughs> gradually, Joss, Joss is as bloody-minded and strong-willed as I am. <laughs> and <laughs> gradually, uh, when, we, when we end up when we end up in a recording studio with like eight strings players going like the clappers. <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, that wasn't really what I thought at the beginning, but um, but I was very happy that uh, ended up the way it did. <laughs> but um, thank you both. I mean, just in terms of of how the score is used, of course, it's it's part of a larger soundscape with found sound, with voices, of course, and and the immediate um, locality of the neighbourhood coming in very strongly. It's far from you know a conventionally scored film. So how did you actually? You know, alongside the extremely precise visual edit, how did you actually work together to make that score? Because you know, it's not like you drop the soundtrack in and then you go away and come back and John's laid it on. How did it come about? Because it was a two over two year project, I think. Were you in, on board the whole time, Joss? Were you on location? You lived there, of course. Yeah. But, but were you um, out recording? Were you out well, together? Well, no. I mean, as, as John says, I mean, he um, he had some. He was collecting footage as uh, as our environment was being gradually kind of. Um, you know, you know, demolished. Um, um, so by the time we started working on the film, I remember we went out for a walk, and I recorded s some um, sounds of stick along corrugated iron, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we, um, you know all the houses were that had been knocked down were kind of you know surrounded with corrugated iron at that time, and um, and that that's how it began. And um, I think though that I do remember that in the proposal we had a completely different idea of what the musical um, resources would be. And we, I remember, I'm sure we had a choir in there, and I, I can't believe we, what we put, but it changed completely uh, as we, as we as the, you know, through the process. And that's what I, I really loved about the, the, the project, actually. It was very special in that way, that it was, um, you know, completely um, little chance events along the way 
change, you know, completely changed things round. And so when I was looking at footage that John had shot, like, you know, um, around, and there was some, um, and listening to the, you know, the sound, and um, and that's where the Jordan and Kim came in. That, that I remember that happened right at the beginning. The, mm. I just heard this Jordan and Kim, Jordan and Kim, and um, I started playing with that, and that, and then we we kind of, um, and that, you know, it sort of took off and. Using uh, what Jan's voice, um, kill the spiders. Really <laughs> yeah, they don't really remember. I suddenly, you know, it sounded like she's singing. In fact, lots of people really don't believe she's not singing. Mm-hmm. That I didn't. That she. That was just a found piece of of, mm-hmm. of text and uh, you know, a recording, sound recording. And so I took, you know, I I started playing, and and you know, like we're swapping sketches and um, because that wastelands um, don't really remember, mm-hmm. but. I think sparked ideas of, you know, visual ideas for you. And I mm. think so it was a really, not, you know, it was a real toing and froing of ideas, I think. And I, for, certainly for me, it, it kind of sparked off new, new, well, developed my work, you know, and I hadn't really used, I hadn't, don't think I'd used much spoken voice before in my, in my work. And it was just really exciting, actually. It was uh, ex- unexpected, you know, the unexpected things that happened along the way. Yeah. It was really... Yeah, it was great having that opportunity to, as Joss was saying, go back and forth. So each of us would do a kind of a sketch and then give it to the other, and then we'd work on work on that. And um, for me, one of the really important things was that there wasn't. It was hard to distinguish between the different elements of the soundtrack. That it was, you know, mm. that, that that it was this single piece that that, that came together. So the way in which it's sort of worked was that I did all the kind of literal bit of none of the film is shot sync I don't shoot anything sync at all so I I recorded all of these sounds of um, bricks dropping and bits of wood splintering and things like that uh, and synchronised them with the action Um, similarly I recorded interviews with all the voices that you hear in the film so they're actually these tiny little fragments that Joss has taken from the from the sound, hundreds from of samples, hundreds literally. Of samples, yeah, in yeah. An old, when samplers old sampler, were still <laughs> on floppy disks, you know, <laughs> hundreds <laughs> of samples of rubble and uh, all that, you know, yeah. nice was playing with them rhythmically and yeah. yeah. So I, I sort of used the sounds sort of literally for in 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 a diegetic sense, and uh, but then I gave all that material to Joss, and then you used mm. it in a in a musical sense. So mm. some sounds. The sounds recur yeah. sometimes a sync sound to do with the action, but also in terms of the rhythm of the film, in terms of the music. So, uh, which is the really exciting thing for me that that kind of that blend of um, of, of uh, illustrative sound and music, you know, to, to one thing. No, absolutely. Thank you very much indeed, both of you. I mean, what was the BBC's role in this? I mean, we should give a shout out to Rodney Wilson, who was central to the, you know, to the series, of course, and and commissioned the Brothers Quay with In Absentia, I think, as part of the same strand, and and others. Incredibly bold, you know, ambitious project at the heart of television. The centenary of the BBC this year, of course, we're all very aware of how vulnerable it might be. What was the, what was the BBC's engagement with the project while you were making it? Did they have anything to say or do? <laughs> Can you speak publicly about this? I think you better tell them, John. <laughs> well, is that so? uh, well, as far as we know, they, the people who, they, who were on the panel to actually commission it uh, were, didn't like it. 
Right. Uh, and Rodney kind of really pushed them. Uh, there were supposed to be how many? Ten commissions mm. for um, to do the sort of demo, the three-minute demo at the beginning, right. and um, and the BBC were particularly not keen on on me, and um, and so in the end, Rodney insisted that that we had a chance, and and we were, and he, they made eleven, they made eleven commissions to do the three-minute demo. <laughs> and and then you know we well then we obviously got the commission to do the final thing and you know yeah. how, how much did you have to give them for this for this demo what what what's, what because obviously as you said three, the project <coughs> three minutes of of just basically kind of the song. first it was the first bit of the film yes, wasn't it, was, it? Yes, the, that yes. first scene with the with right. the with yeah. the buildings auto destructing and things like yeah, that yeah, with yeah. the with the kill the spiders yeah. And then you did some musical sketches as well, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Visually, it was, it was more or less as the first two or three minutes yeah. stand. Well, it's interesting, you, of course, with the 11th uh, <laughs> commission demo, because I think it's won 11 international awards um, <laughs> and, of course, went on to do incredible things um, across the world. When they saw that, of course, they, they had this you know, incredibly engaged film which it's interesting what you say about protest Josh because you know it takes many forms doesn't it and it's the it's the kind of the spectrum of of, of response and resistance particularly when your own neighborhood is being destroyed around you it, this is an enduring protest whenever anyone, anyone sees it they're reminded of something huge that happened which has ongoing resonance ecologically roads programs apparently are starting up again now under the current so-called administration and so it remains resonant uh, once you'd made it what was your sense of how, perhaps you've hinted at this already, Joss, but what was your sense of how it had informed and was starting to redirect your, your, your composition? Well, um, yeah, I, I, as I say, I sort of was... It gave me a chance to experiment in ways that I hadn't done much of, really. I mean, I, I had been playing with fan sounds, which is why I must have been able to reassure John. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, I always knew that... Well, I didn't remember that it was... It's funny that it was that way around, uh, how it began. But I always knew that working with John, um, that there would be a reason for the music to be there. That I, because he never used music in films, you know. Um, I'm, um, I th that explains it. Because I was, al I'm almost surprised that you, you know, agreed to it. Because, you know, he never uses music, and if it is, it's him singing, as you well, heard. I didn't somebody else, I yeah, we were very good friends. We were very good friends, and and we lived in this. Oh. Yeah, yeah. In in this um yeah in this environment and which was a really wonderful but well, I mean looking back on it it makes me very uh, nostalgic because mm. we were so lucky and I look at young people now who've got these horrendous rents to pay mm. it's mm. just just awful and they you know it's tra a tra such a trap and we had this freedom of squats and ca you know cheap housing I mean you know um, it, it's yeah so uh, it was a, a really nice time then. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, John, given how, you know, how personal the material was to you, and you've made several other works that have also engaged with that, that moment in uh, East London history, again, given what Justin has just said about, about music, you know, we saw your Echo in the Bunnymen film, which, of course, you know, is a radical concert movie by any measure. I'd like to just ask you briefly about that a, a little bit later. But after this experience, you know, with such success creatively working with Justin, did you feel that this was a possibility you would pursue, or was this a one-off? I mean, we know, we'll see, obviously, the films later in the season, but what was your sense of music and its role in your filmmaking at that point? It was very much a one-off for me right. at the time, and 
And I, I still have, um, as, as Joss knows, I, I'm, I'm sort of slightly, uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, I think, sort of um, wary of the kind of emotional manipulation of music. And, uh, but the way in which I justify this film to myself is that it's so emotive. <laughs> but I realize, what, I've, what I say now, since I made this film with Joss that I really like, I say, well, I, I, there's not, not a problem with the emotional with music manipulating you emotionally in that way, as long as you know you're being manipulated. And what is really I don't like is like background drones that are kind of you don't even you don't even notice that you're being made to feel kind of frightened or you know. <laughs> Whereas with this, you know very well what's 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 going. I mean, it's it's quite interesting to me that people quite often people have said to me that Blight is a kind of a, they they think oh it's very different from your other work apart from the music because it's a very agitprop kind of film and uh, and it's interesting that, that people say that because actually you might not have noticed but it's only like the last half a minute of the film that there's any reference mm. to a, you know a, a particular um, situation and uh, and it, it's very deliberately very open earlier on I mean we were both interested I think in ideas of about memory and loss uh, rather than really wanting to concentrate on that specific situation. But I realise that the reason people... Because uh, people say, oh, it hasn't got much humour in it. You know. But if you look at it without the, without the music and you see these kind of macho road builders running away from pebbles falling, um, it's rather funny you know but of course with Joss's amazing soundtrack we look at this and we hear this apocalyptic music and we think god mother earth is rising up to swallow her violators you know uh, it, it works in a very you know it does work in a very powerful way in that sense and uh, <laughs> no I mean it's an extraordinary uh, score because it's menacing it's sinister it's elegiac it's melancholy it's rousing and resistant all in you know, the space of, you know, a, a, a few minutes and with an incredible range of other sound going on. So, Joss, this was your, we have to remind ourselves, this was your first film score. It was, actually, yes, yes. I mean, but, and going back to you were asking about how it developed my work, I mean, fact the, I, I guess I shared that, I mean, John obviously is a real purist in terms of how he, he uses found image and, you know, <coughs> a very purely, and I, but I was very interested in in using and kind of incorporating playing with frown sounds in my music and and I knew that that was going to really um be you know be part of it and I I guess um yeah I I I felt quite kind of excited by that um that aspect of it but yes it was the um, and and of course yeah with the other kind of stuff I was um getting commissions for I was starting to get little bits of commissions mm. for music um I, uh, like a, t a TV drama and um, uh, mainly documentary, TV documentaries and stuff. Um, otherwise, I'd been doing a lot of theatre music mm. before that. But um, so this is kind of was much more um, interesting for me in some ways, you know. Um, but I hadn't ever, yeah, had a film, uh, you know, been asked to do a, a film score before. So yeah, it was my first film score. And, uh, Tremendous. Thank you very much. <laughs> I have a lot more questions, of course. You have questions as well. I'm aware that we're almost at half past eight. So I really would like to open it up. And then, of course, if there's nothing back from you, then I'll just carry on up here as, as previously planned. But does anyone have any questions at this point, either about Blight, of course, or any other films in the programme? Yes, please, over there. And then let's see if any other hands go up and we'll navigate the microphone to move in the best way that it should. Thank you very much. Um, hi, John. Um, I just wanted to ask if, if Blight was the most homoerotic film you've made. 
<laughs> I'm told not, actually. I mean, I, I deliberately wanted, I, I was deliberately, obviously, emphasizing the thrusting of the demolition workers with the big sticks and everything. Uh, so that was a very deliberate thing. But I, but I also made a film called Om, uh, which involved mm. somebody having their head shaved. And I completely, um, I was completely described, uh, surprise to discover, it's quite a big hit amongst older gay men who felt that there was a kind of real eroticism to the, the hand of the person who's shaving the head on, the, on this bald head. Uh, it was something I'd never thought of before, but um, anyway, it's got a different, it's got a different um, demographic issue feels to than the, uh, quite a specific demographic. Yeah, that's, thank you for that. That's certainly a question I wasn't going to be asking. Um, so really delighted um, that we had that to... You were wondering, were you? Yeah, I, mean, I was toying with it if it really dried up later on. Um, um, that's what I mean about humour, actually. No, absolutely. Like, you know, if you just watch that silent, it would be kind of bloody hell what they do. Yeah. What is going on? What is going on? Um, hi. Um, I just wanted to ask John about your singing voice. It's beautiful. What about a Christmas album or something this year? Yeah. It really is good. I really like it. I was thinking of doing... Well, I sing all the time at home, quietly. Um, not quietly, loudly, actually, and not just in the bath. But um, So it, it comes natural to me. <laughs> but um, I, we must collaborate with, my, with me singing sometime. <laughs> I'm very inspired tonight. It sounds like a Welsh tenor, well, Welsh baritone. Yeah. You know, you've sort of put on a Welsh accent, I think, when you sing. I don't know what I do. <laughs> my father used to sing all the time. I think I caught it from him. <laughs> Thank you very much. Jocelyn, you've now scored many, many films, many uh, acclaimed and well-known films. Your second film is, is particularly well known I would say um, and um, perhaps came to uh, realisation off the back of Blight was, did Blight play any particular part in you receiving that next commission? <laughs> Actually funnily enough um, uh, um, you're talking about uh, Eyes Wide Shut. I am. And, um, I am. and um, actually, funnily enough, Stanley Kubrick actually asked um, the choreographer, Yolanda Snaith, um, to, to choreograph, to work on the masked ball scene. Having seen, um, what's it called, Dance on Camera, a late night, it's equivalent to sound yes, on film. Yes, right, absolutely. He saw Dance on Camera and he saw her work <coughs> and then she was called. And then because she did... I, uh, I, she was working on it. She was working on that a scene, you know, the rehearsal. She had my album and played a. She was playing my music in the rehearsal, and that's how he heard my music. But I don't think he he didn't see Blight, as far as I know, but he did You'd... have late night, you know, <laughs> TV. Uh, can I just inject there, because yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, but you did actually give him a tape of Blight to I watch. Did Somebody asked me this. Because you wanted him to... I, mean, I don't think he asked for it, but you, you wanted to know. <laughs> you wanted him to see it, because you wondered what he'd think of it. So you gave it to him, and then he died. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, I really want to know what Stanley Kubrick thinks of my film. And then the bastard went and died. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure because I've got such a bad memory. It's I don't really, really remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, just thinking about tonight's launch, final launch. I mean, there is a key link, of course, between Kubrick and, and the Purge release, not least the idea that they're both Stanleys. And I wonder whether we can extract from that, you know, a certain scale of project for the, the Stanley in this room. Obviously, we'll watch that space. Um, but I just could ask you briefly, if I may, 
Justin, about the, the, maybe the next or the fourth film, perhaps, maybe one or two after Eyes Wide Shut, which is Time Out by Laurent Conte, which is an incredible film, won the Golden Bear at Venice, an amazing Golden Bear at Venice. What animal is Venice? Anyone? Film festival people? Is it? Lion. lion. Golden Lion. So it was either the Golden Bear at Berlin or the Golden Lion at Venice. Anyway, it won gold somewhere big. It's a wonderful film. It kind of slips a little bit out of the culture, it seems to me. It's perennially re- relevant about employment, precarity, and so on. So when, when you'd got these early scores under your belt, what was the experience collaboratively with other directors, several of whom you've worked with you know, on a number of occasions since then? Did you have the kind of same collaborative experience that you had with John? I mean, very different work, of course, with a different purpose for the music. Um, uh, really, every... every ex- project is so different um more often with film you're brought in towards the end you know and um so yeah that and it's very rare otherwise but that i have had a few nothing quite as collaborative obviously as as blight but um um even eyes wide shut i mean in terms of the sections i was involved in um you know i was brought in before they shot the film right. so um i was um yeah the, the, they shot the film to that, uh, for instance, the mass ball scene, they yeah. shot to the music. Um, right. And so but, but that's um, quite rare. I, and another film, Merchant of Venice, that I yeah. did, um, they, a lot of scenes were shot with music because, well, there was musicians in... That was more literal. There were musicians in vision. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Laurent Cante, it really was a really beautiful film. I don't know if you, have you seen it. Oh, yeah. It's... Um, and it really um, was really... Um, Lovely to work on, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was more kind of um, usual kind of process. I think I got, you know, fairly late rough cuts, you know, uh, yeah. quite late on. And, and um, yeah, I think it was quite a, a, a kind of um, one of the deadline situations. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean... have very long to do it. Exactly. No, it's interesting because it came out in 2001. That was the first year that I'd started working on the Time Out film pages. And it was the only film, of course, that was called Time Out. So it was constantly number one in the film list, regardless of whether it was doing that well at the box office. It would always be the choice of the week for the whole duration of its run so that they could reinforce the brand brilliantly through the film. Um, of course, a moment that passed, um, as did the magazine. Um, yes, please. Um, uh, microphone here, if we could. Thank you. Hi, John and Justin, and thanks very much this evening. It was really amazing to see this selection of films by John, quite kind of, yeah, extraordinary. <coughs> I have quite a few questions. I'll try and maybe just focus on one. So for John, I was just thinking, um, I noticed, um, I watched Tower the other day, and I noticed that there seemed to be a shot in my, one of the films which, so this use of where material makes it into different films and how, you know, various shots maybe find their way into films from material that you've used somewhere else. It's just a question about that. And I was thinking about um, Sound, the longer film, which I forget the name with the band. (laughs) But can you say a little bit about the kind of making of that? Because that's quite... It was. I don't know if it's just kind of me, but it was kind of quite extraordinary around how the characters come in and how it's kind of directed and choreographed. And, you know, because they, they almost... It's almost like is this, how many people are there? How many? The way it kind of emerges is just really, uh, yeah, kind of fascinating. And how you shot that? Were you filming? Were you directing? How big was the crew? And also the sound. One thing I haven't neglected to mention this evening, I have neglected to mention, is my very good friend Patrick Duval, who has shot a number of my films, 
especially ones that I'm in, because it's hard to film. Well, actually, you can film yourself now on video, but historically. <laughs> um, but also, I was very, very involved in the um, Echo and the Bunnymen film, who, was, in addition to shooting most of the material, um, we had three cameras for the concert shoot, but the rest of it was shot by Patrick on our old Ariflex BL camera. Um, uh, but Patrick also worked with the with me on the editing of it as well. So we kind of it was, a, and I actually learnt quite a lot from him about the editing conventions because I hadn't really done any conventional action editing until that point. So thank you, Patrick. <laughs> if you're still if you're still here. <laughs> um, but um, no, the, the it came about as I said earlier that there was the there there was this brief that it had to be a concert and also it had to be we had to film. Uh, do something which actually gave some idea of the characters of the band, you know. And obviously, it's a really pastiche and stereotype and jokey, but that's uh, that's what we did. But the this for me, the central idea for the film, which I don't think really works very well at all, in fact, was that all of those people are actually in separate locations, which is the same location. So basically, there's the hotel next to it. There's the the concert hall, which has a cafe, and it has the outside, this and park outside, and then of course there's the greenhouse with the, uh, which starts off hopefully suggesting jungles and things at the beginning. So, so it was a little bit of a puzzle to have this thing of these people in these different places and to, and bring them together. And I thought it was quite a nice kind of corny idea. <laughs> And, and were, were they happy to go along with it? I mean, was it was the resistance? Yeah, it was very. Uh, I mean, it was odd. The um, we hadn't met the band before we started shooting, as I think I, yeah, I think yeah, I said yeah, before, yeah. before. But we, but I think the week the shoot was must have been a week. I think at least actually it was. And it was quite quite a long time. We got to know them. We got on very well. Yeah. And you know, I think they were a bit, they were a bit suspicious to begin with, but. Um, quite quickly were kind of, um, you know, sort of very much up for it, yeah. as far as I remember. Uh, which is more than one can say for Warner Brothers, the record company, right. when they got to see the film. <laughs> so is this They were absolutely mortified, I have to say. <laughs> um, did, how widely did it circulate at the time? I'm just going to tell you a little bit more about. Please that. do, yeah, no, please do, yeah, no, it's all right. Just yeah. very quickly. No, cause, absolutely. Cause yeah, yeah. I, I just remember, I still have this horrific memory of showing the film to the Warner Brothers executives, who were kind of, you know, like desperately waiting for there to be some concert footage and things. And of course, when the first scene. <laughs> That you see them playing, all you see is shoulders, elbows, knees, and backs of heads. So they're deliberately obscured until halfway through the film. <laughs> and they say, but also, why are you filming behind? We want to see Ian McCulloch's face, you know, the lead singer's face. That's what you do in Provos, you know. So, oh, sorry, you know, you told me that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, no, well, I mean, it's part of the same question, really, John. So did the film, I mean, did it, was it suppressed by the, by the label, or did it, how, how, how was it seen at no, the time? No, not at all. It was brought out on... It was brought out on um, VH, VHS and Betamax tapes Great. at the time, in an edition of I think a hundred or five hundred. They they issued them to the members of the fan club because this concert was a mystery concert in Buxton in the mm -hmm. middle of the winter. They told their fans, if, asked their fans if they wanted to come 
on coach trips from London, Liverpool, Sheffield, oh, okay. uh, to, to a mystery concert with some Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh, yeah. um, so all these people turned up, and uh, actually I'll be using too much time to say any more about it, but that was, the, that, that, that was the, the background to it. And then they released it on videotape, and I hear it became a cult film. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, there's no question, surely. I, basically, because there wasn't much of it around, I think. <laughs> right. But it seems to me so. that, you know, it was, it was uh, at least two, maybe more years before Talking Heads uh, Stop Making Sense by Jonathan Demme. And it seems to me this is an extraordinary um, uh, influence, either consciously or unconsciously known or not, on that film. But this is way more radical than that, and that's a film I like, you know, quite mm. a lot. Oh, but I mean, I think this is something. I was cringing. But it's half. It's really, half I, half, well, no. I think it's half our film. I don't know. If, I wouldn't. You wouldn't do it again the same I, way. No, I w- and I wouldn't show it. Would you do it again at all? <laughs> wouldn't show it. Too much it. concert. <laughs> Too much concert. Not enough, John. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I mean, thought actually, to, to, uh, the, second, the first part of your question, which I think is interesting, is you were saying, talking about recycling. I mean, there are parts, the first part of that film, are like the visual devices I use in Absolutely. my other films. Things yeah, to yeah. do with day and night, match framings, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. So, uh, I always get slightly embarrassed when I'm showing a programme of several films together because you realise that, you know, you only have... Uh, about eight ideas in life and, <laughs> and um, you know they're very often repeated if you put too many films together so I'm dreading showing 50 films over the next the next uh, ten, eight weeks or whatever yeah, exactly, it is exactly <laughs> but I thought let's go for it you know no absolutely you must you must thank you very much we have a question here we'll keep it um, concise if we can thank you Thank you very much. I was curious about what you said, that you had recorded the um, interviews for Blight. And listening to the sound, um, apart from the fact of the obvious uh, you know, role of music, what I liked about it was the way in which it almost felt like an inverse erosion. It supported this fragments of sound sort of building back to a story. And I thought it, it worked really well in that sense. And I was wondering what your ideas were in terms of those interviews, when you recorded them, how did you have ideas on how you would use them before they became this incredible? Yeah, we dis- we discussed these things. I mean, I um, when I did the interviews, I basically I asked people, and not everybody lived in houses that were demolished in the area. I have to say, I mean, we were really concerned about getting lots of people of lots of different ages. So although the oldest person in the film was a resident there, and he was nearly a hundred years old. Um, there are several people kind of that, that were just local people that we recorded. But when I interviewed people, I wasn't asking them about that particular situation. What I asked them to talk about was what they remembered <laughs> about somewhere that they'd lived before that they couldn't go back to. Uh, and so that might have been in another country, another place. It wasn't necessarily to do with demolition and stuff like that. And then we talked about how we would use things like ages and numbers and colours and so these things, you know, sort of came out and uh, so there were a few, there were only, very, as you hear, there were only a few very, uh, any substantial bits of text, like when the guy says that house has a spirit, you know, um, we're sorry, you've got to lose, you've got to pull your house down, sorry, you've got to move your mother. Um, but other than that, you know, most of the, you know, we, we decided on the spider's theme, but then Jocelyn 
took the pieces from those interviews, uh, particularly the musical. Yeah, I was, I was sort of, I was trawling through the sound material that there was and taking bits that I, you know, and so I, I think so, certain things happened by accident. You know, there were there was a, a bit of, um, a bit of material vocal that sound that moved me for for it, the quality of the textural quality for instance of the like dolly who's 100 years old and got this voice of that's you know you uh, you know that it is full of her experience and 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 also just uh, certain things that kind of happened i don't know it felt that felt like a lot of chance things that there was a musical kind of somebody saying a color quite musically that then kind of that's why or or you know i might have started playing with Colours, or I can't remember now, but there were lots of. Um, it was quite a really unusual process. There was just lots of playing and sketches, and John responded to stuff I did, and vice versa. I think, and yeah. But I'm um, yeah. No, it's. A, I just do remember. I've still got all the floppy disks of hundreds of samples. <laughs> yeah. I've still got all the quarter-inch, half-hour interviews with twenty people. <laughs> God. In fact, somebody, uh, just as a quick aside, somebody got in touch with me a while ago and they said, they said oh, I'm Henry Cox's daughter and, and um, I, hear, I heard, heard about your film and, and Henry, I uh, heard Henry was, you know, his voice is in your film. And she said, he's my father. I never knew him and he's died recently. Mm. And I'm really curious to find out about him. And finally, the quarter-inch tapes came in handy because she said, I want to see the film. Uh, and all he says in the film is um, carvings and skirting boards, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, one or two other, you know, three, you know, his age. Uh, Just a week off seventy. Yeah. No, that's my dad. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. No, fifty, fifty-eight coming on, fifty-seven going on, fifty-eight. Was Henry. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so I, I've, I gave, I haven't told you this, I gave her this, uh, got a digital transfer of the tape for her, uh, which was rather good, because coming back to activism, he was very active in the, in the road protest, much more than I was. Um, and, um, and so this interview that I did with him, he talked a lot about that. Uh, and uh, so she kind of got to find out that her father who I think she thought might have been a bit of a waste I hope she'd never known and I'm actually you know, done some useful and valuable social things in life so mm. it was nice Tremendous, thank you very much, we're out of time now I'm afraid, I've just got one more key leading question for, for Jocelyn um, but Jocelyn, just before we leave and, and go and take our chance to buy the record and book in the foyer area, do please tell us good about Side B and the track on that Well, um it's it's basically the it's the it's the tango we call it the tango with corrugated iron. Yeah. It's kind of a, um, the, a version of that that kind of um, is was much too emotional for the film. <laughs> it kind of extends and it kind of it kind of grows from it basically continues from the end of the film and it kind of it, it kind of grows a bit and it, it wasn't right for the film but I kind of yeah something that I it grew out of tango with corrugated iron as I call it yeah. Thank you very much. It looks like our time is up. Things are happening behind me. I've no idea quite what, what is happening. But please thank Jocelyn Pook and John Smith. Thank you.